you are listening to Radio Maria and this is Father Toby with your word for today, the uh, memorial of St. John Southworth. And I want to begin with today's gospel, which is taken from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw away your pearls in front of pigs, or they may trample them and then turn on you and tear you to pieces. So always treat others as you would like them to treat you. That is the meaning of the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, since the road that leads to perdition is wide and spacious, and many take it. But it is a narrow gate and a hard road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, some of you may have been thinking, given that I've not mentioned him a great deal lately, that I'd had a falling out with C.S. Lewis. But fear not, I have not come across some passage of his which has scandalised me, it's just the simple matter of writing on certain topics has had me engaging with other thinkers. But yesterday I resumed a long three-part biography about him. So far he's still at school in England and most definitely not loving it, which is fair enough when you claim your headmaster is mad and nobody believes you until said headmaster is actually taken to an asylum. And having Jack on my mind... Jack is what he preferred to be called rather than Clive. A thought popped into my head almost the very moment that I had finished preaching at this morning's Mass. Um, a homily not as good as the one I'm hopefully now about to give. I thought of a scene immediately after I finished preaching from the silver chair, which brings together so many different themes. And to set the scene, Jill, a not especially impressive young girl, has just arrived in Narnia with Eustace, and she has been showing off, taunting Eustace Clarence Scrub, who once deserved such a name, but has since undergone a steady transformation, and should probably be worthy of a better name by now. But anyway, Eustace Clarence Scrub is still his name, and I still like saying it. Eustace and Jill had arrived in Narnia at the edge of a cliff, and Jill had been showing off to Eustace, who was scared of heights. And Eustace becomes alarmed for her safety, and in the course of trying to bring her to safety, ends up falling off the cliff himself. Jill, having shown off in the face of another's weakness, finds herself alone, scared, and incredibly thirsty. Power and strength are supposed to be used at the service of others. It's not a bad thing not to be scared of heights but it is when you taunt the weak, and Jill is now the one who is weak and scared. And then Aslan the lion arrives on the scene, but not recognised by Jill as Aslan. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I am dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do? said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl, and as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realised that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. 
The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. He did not say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no doubt that the Christian life is demanding. No one is clearer about this than Jesus himself. There is also no doubt that we look for shortcuts, we look for other streams, even when it is obvious that there is none. To take one example, when I'm coming back from Cambridge and am cycling back to our priory in London, there is a slow and steady climb up the road which my church sits on the top of. So often when I'm tired, I entertain thoughts of how I might cycle a different route and dodge the hill. But the reality is that the priory sits atop a hill. And if you start beneath the top of the hill, you are going to have to climb some side of the hill. Now the fact that I have tried to think about alternative ways home may have you thinking that I am no saner than Lewis's headmaster, but I do think it's a good analogy for our approach to the Christian life. We have some definite destination, life in Christ, and there is some definite way there, self-sacrificial love. Drinking from the living waters of Christ can be simultaneously enervating and terrifying, but there is no other water that will quench our thirst. The world will offer us other waters. The world will seek to seduce us with comfort and consumption, which turns us in on ourselves. But Christ says, Enter by the narrow gate, since the road that leads to perdition is wide and spacious and many take it. But it is a narrow gate and a hard road that leads to life and only a few find it. There is no other gate, there is no other stream. I want to uh, play for you now a song by a New Zealand uh, Christian artist uh, called Brooke Fraser, and the, the song is entitled uh, C.S. Lewis, and the, and the lyrics, if you were to look them up, are, are rather beautiful and are uh, fitting for what I've been discussing in the in the Friar side recently on the reasonability of faith. And uh, here Brooke Fraser um, puts into, into song part of C.S. Lewis's uh, argument for the existence of God, um, which is the argument from desire.
have desires nothing in this world can satisfy I can only conclude that I I was not made for here if the flesh that I fight is at best
just thought I would actually uh, share the the lyrics um, with you of that of that song. Um, the first one, direct quote from from C.S. Lewis, uh, and then uh, Brooke Fraser's own sort of uh, riffing on that. Lewis writes, "If I find in myself desires nothing in this world can satisfy, I can only conclude that I was not made for here." And then Fraser carries on, if the flesh that I fight is at best only light and momentary, then of course I'll feel nude when to where I'm destined, I'm compared. Speak to me in the light of dawn, mercy comes with the morning. I will sigh and with all creation groan as I, woke for, as I wait for hope to come to me. Am I lost or just less found, on the straight or on the roundabout of the wrong way? Is this a soul that stirs in me? Is it breaking free, wanting to come alive? Because my comfort would prefer for me to be numb and avoid the impending birth of who I was born to become. For we, we are not long here. Our time is but a breath, so we better breathe it. And I, I was made to live. I was made to love. I was made to know you. Hope is coming for me. Hope is coming 